Hi, this is Cassandra Lee Morris, and you're listening to the Annie Monday Podcast. Please enjoy your weekly dose of random anime. Hello and welcome to the Annie Monday Podcast. My name is Colin Hemphill. And I'm Kayla Hemphill. On our show, we roll the virtual dice each week and must watch a randomly selected anime title. Welcome to 2020! Yeah, Happy New Year, everyone. We hope you had a great holiday and uh, are excited about the new year. New decade. Same bad anime. <laughs> Last year, we hit the random button on Crunchyroll, and the mask that we put on is called JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. JoJo began as a manga series in 1987 by Hirohiko Araki, and it is still ongoing. There were also several spin-off manga series, and the main manga series is currently split into eight parts, covering different generations of characters and kind of different story arcs. There have been a few iterations of anime adaptations. The first was by Studio APPP and was released as a 13-part OVA based on the Stardust Crusaders arc of the uh, manga. And they also released a film in 2007 based on Part 1, which is called Phantom Blood. The show that we watched was by David Production, and that is kind of a long-running anime series that started in 2012 and plans to cover all parts of the manga from start to finish. The first season covers parts 1 and 2, which are called Phantom Blood and Battle Tendency. In addition to these, there have been several light novel series, audio dramas, lots of video games, including a lot of incredible fighting games, (laughs) and also a live-action film that covered the Diamond is Unbreakable story arc. We watched the first four episodes of the David Production series from 2012, so we'll be covering the very beginning of the Phantom Blood arc. Kayla, would you like to give us a synopsis? Jonathan Joestar, commonly known as Jojo, lives a privileged and happy life under the care of his doting father. When a young boy named Dio Brando becomes part of the family, Jojo's life is turned upside down. Jonathan knows that his new rival is up to no good, but he doesn't know quite how far Dio will go to steal wealth and power from the Joestar family. So I don't know about you, but I feel like we need a little bit of a disclaimer up front before we start talking (laughs) about one of the world's most popular anime series. Yes. And that is that I have personally heard a lot about this show. Yes, I have gotten so much hype from people in my life. Many recommendations, many opinions Mm -hmm. about the show Mm -hmm. and which arcs are worth watching and which (laughs) are not so great and all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I've always been kind of intimidated by it just a little bit. There's a lot of media around it. Mm -hmm. And especially with people making stipulations about like, oh, you should watch this part and this part and you can skip these. And it's just overwhelming. (laughs) Uh, so that said, the, the discourse around JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is crazy, and there's a lot of seasons out there already, currently eight separate story arcs in the manga, and 
as we go into the podcast, have only barely scratched the surface of like part one of that whole thing. And because the show is so complex and knowingly weird, a lot of people have really strong feelings about it. (laughs) And when people have strong feelings about a show, they tend to Google it (laughs) and sometimes come across our podcast and make comments about uh, the way that we analyze it. Uh, So I I do want to just put out a reminder, especially if this is your first episode that you're listening to that uh, our podcast is built around the premise that we only watch four episodes of the show, and then we discuss it and we make a snap decision about it. And that's kind of how the show goes. Yep. So our analysis is not indicative of the show as a whole. It's just an analysis strictly based on the initial impression that the show makes on us personally. Mm -hmm. So if you're just joining us for the first time, we're going to talk about what we saw, and then we're going to move <laughs> right along to a different show. Mm-hmm. Do you want to start with the story? Sure. I think I came into the show with a weird idea of how it was going to feel. And I think that actually helped me. Something that I spent a lot of time watching was uh, Doctor Who. And this show kind of reminds me of that. That there's different iterations of the Doctor, and that means that there's different characters that he interacts with, there's different storylines that he goes through, there's there's a lot of different kind of things that end up being the focus of each Doctor's iteration. And this kind of feels like that. Something that I could at least appreciate about these four episodes is while the story is weird, I mean, it's called... JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, so I was anticipating weirdness. They actually do a decent job of helping you understand what's going on. I didn't find it confusing so much as just like, oh, this escalated quickly, and this kind of took a different direction, and that is a weird thing that just happened. But I I wasn't lost. I didn't find myself being like, hold on, I don't understand what's happening. Who is this person? I didn't find myself in that position And for a show that calls itself weird, it was kind of refreshing to actually be able to follow the story. Sure. I mean, these first four episodes are more or less just like some kind of burly British dudes (laughs) getting into fights with each other. Yes. And they meet some strange characters with weird rock and roll names. (laughs) Yes. And then there's like an ancient evil awakened. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's more or less the premise of these episodes. Yeah, we kind of go from this brother rivalry to world domination in the span of an episode. (laughs) Uh, Should I just dive into like a little bit of a story kind of recap on things so far? Probably. Okay. So the show takes place at the very beginning in 1868 in England. And a thief comes across an overturned carriage and upon trying to loot it, finds that a man and his son are still alive inside. Uh, That man is George Joestar, who is Jojo's father, uh, and his his son, who is still a baby at the time. And the thief is Dario Brando, which is, uh, you had mentioned, 
Dio is kind of the antagonist of the show. Mm-hmm. And that is his son. Yep. So years later, Dario is kind of owed a favor because the Joestar family thinks that he saved them when he was actually just trying to loot them. Mm-hmm. And so as Dario is dying, he sends his son to go live with the Joestar family. And it becomes really apparent as soon as Dio comes to the Joestar household that he is going to try and rip apart Jonathan's life. Right. As instructed by his father. Yeah. Over, you know, 12 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we do meet these characters when they're 12 years old, roughly. And they, like you said, kind of just have the sibling rivalry sort of thing. But uh, Dio just descends rapidly into, like, I'm going to kill your dog or I'm going to steal your girlfriend. Right. But the the majority of the show actually happens like eight years later when they are, I guess, around 20 years old. Yeah, they're in college. And it's at this point when Dio is trying to speed up the process because he's getting bored with this family and tries to poison Mr. Joestar. Mm -hmm. And Jonathan discovers this by a fluke and is like, aha, I have proof that you're evil. And then our story takes a real sharp turn. Right. Kind of all along, you had been seeing uh, scenery in this like mansion that the Joe Stars live in. And it's clear that they have been on some sorts of adventures in the past. And part of that is that they have this mask hanging on the wall that came from like an Aztec ruin or something. That his mom had. Yep. And eventually Dio figures out that if he just puts this mask on, he turns into a vampire. Mm-hmm. And for all intents and purposes, like, they just try to kill Dio a few times and it doesn't really work so well. Yep. And we're kind of left up in the air about what's going to happen next. Yeah, and that's pretty much where we ended. All right, Kayla. Well, do you want to talk a little bit about our characters themselves and kind of what they're all about? Our main character, Jojo, is not one of my more favorite protagonists that we've had on the show. He really exemplifies like how privileged he is. Everything comes super easy to him. Even when he's faced with the hurdles that Dio puts in front of him, like things are just handed to him. He, he loses a bunch of his friends because Dio, you know, says says some like bad remarks about his character. And then he's given a new friend and he's super happy and then later when you know he's faced with Dio being a vampire like a dude just walks up to him and is like hey I'm gonna teach you how to defeat vampires and you're like what what are you doing it kind of reminds me of Ash from Pokemon like Ash doesn't really do a whole lot well on his own it's mostly other people coming and being like hey I'm gonna help you in this situation or I think you have a really good spirit, so I'm going to give you this badge. It kind of feels like that. It's sort of like everyone just gives Jojo the chance to seem awesome, even though he's not really doing anything. He's not overcoming. He's not really growing in any way. He's just kind of, I'm the good guy, so I'm going to be good. 
Right. They they try to give him like this gentlemanly uh, code of conduct, code of order sort of mentality uh, to the point that like other characters meet him and instantly think like, wow, you're so courageous and wonderful. Yeah, like people who were trying to rob him get in one scuffle with him and they're like, hold on, this dude's amazing. We should not kill him. And you're like, what? Uh, but in reality, like, this character is basically, oh, father, why do you allow this cretin to ruin our family? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. So conversely, Dio is the exact opposite. He is, like, crazy evil for no reason. Like, he is not subtle. I. It's actually really frustrating how... He'll do something plainly, like, terrible in front of other people, and they either completely ignore it, even though they're standing, like, 10 feet away, or they're like, yeah, you do that thing that's probably really bad because you're cool, because you're evil, and that's cool. And that's, that's like, the core of his character. He's not a very good villain. There's no subtlety to him. And you just look at him and say he's evil because he's evil, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, I think the setup was okay uh, for him, personally, um, because I think most of it stems from his father, and Mm -hmm. maybe they could have done with more of that. Like, the fact that this guy was raised by a thief whose sole purpose was to go around to overturned carriages and steal (laughs) whatever from them. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he ends up with, like, this life debt from a rich guy, and literally his son's entire life is feeding this into him. Like, you're going to take over the Joestar fortune, like, do whatever you can to make sure that you take what belongs to him. So that kind of, like, super over-the-top evilness, I can kind of see working. I guess my frustration is, because he had such a bad relationship with his dad, like, you see him constantly be really angry towards his dad and, you know, kind of brush off his name and, and, like, want nothing to do with him, that he wouldn't so readily, like, embrace what his dad had taught him, you know? You think he'd try to do it with more subtlety and, you know, not be this, you know, kind of plainly evil dude that his dad was, Sure. I guess I saw it as like he was uh, fed this this kind of mentality so often that eventually he realized, well, you're a barrier to me. Mm. Like I could get the fortune sooner if you just died and then I could go right now and be with them. Which they kind of imply that he did. They allude that he also poisoned his own father. Mm-hmm. And so like his evilness surpasses his father so much that he sees his father as an inconvenience to him gaining power. Yeah, for me, I think it's just kind of a a boring kind of villain because it lacks subtlety. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I, I don't think this show is going to be about subtlety, <laughs> and maybe that's why I'm seeing it kind of differently. That's fair. <laughs> uh, we'll get to a couple other characters who are going to be a little bit more important later on in this arc, but I do want to talk about one particularly boring character who shows up briefly and doesn't make any impact, and that is Arena. Mm-hmm. 
who, as far as I know, exists only to get Jojo worked up uh, at one point in the story when Dio tries to sabotage their relationship. Yeah, it's a big bummer to me that the only female character is used strictly as a bland love interest and then immediately discarded and only used to, you know, to be like, ah, remember that girl? She's still around. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so I want to talk about Two more characters real quick. One of them is important right now only in name. And the other might be important, but I haven't quite figured that out yet. Uh, When Jojo goes into the city of London to try to figure out what this poison is and to get the proof that his father is being poisoned, that's when he gets... um, He ends up in like a dark alleyway and is cornered by a group of thieves and that's when the thief is like oh you you're rad yeah you have all this integrity and i (laughs) look up to you and i'm gonna be your friend now yeah and that man is robert eo speedwagon yep remember that subtlety thing i mentioned (laughs) yeah his whole character design is Basically to be like, I can see through your lies and I can see the heart of any person that I encounter. And you're like, why? Why do we need you? Just to drive home points that were already super, super obvious. It is weird to me that people inherently trust Speedwagon more than they trust Jonathan. Like Jonathan has been saying, hey, Dio's kind of evil everyone like i'm pretty sure he killed my dog i'm pretty sure that he lies all the time and he's doing all this terrible stuff and everyone's like no he's not as soon as speedwagon comes and says this dude is really evil everyone's like you're right why (laughs) well i mean i guess it does sort of line up with him putting on the mask and being a vampire sure i guess (laughs) uh the last character is will a zapelli who kind of all we know about him is that he has some sort of past with the mask and has had experience with it. And so he kind of just shows up in Jojo's life out of nowhere. And uh, my understanding is that throughout Jojo, they're going to kind of deal with a particular supernatural power. And that's kind of the mode that they use for all of these fights throughout the different arcs. Mm -hmm. And in this case, Zapelli is kind of teaching Jojo how to utilize this power that he knows how to use. Yep. Yep. That's it so far. Yeah, that's that's pretty much where we wrapped up. And like we said, nothing too complex so far. No. We'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to the show. Kayla, would you like to start off our discussion talking about the production elements of the show? So the first thing that I want to talk about is the character designs. These characters are really reminiscent of their origin in the 80s. So if you're looking at any sort of animation, not 
just anime, but also, you know, American cartoons that are going at the time, a lot of male characters are overly muscular. They're they're humongous characters. Yeah, just hulking beasts. Yes. And almost all the males in this show are that way. Right. Yeah, like I said, when we kind of first meet Jojo and Dio, they are 12 years old. They do not look 12. No, not at all. Uh, they look like giant adult men <laughs> yes. at 12. Yes. And then when the time leap happens, you're like, what are these things? <laughs> they full on Hulk out, which kind of leads me to something that I think we've talked about in a lot of shows, which is a lot of anime has teenagers as protagonists. A lot of those protagonists do not look like teenagers. And I'm just starting to kind of reconcile that it just must be very challenging to design teenage characters. And I'm going to try and be more (laughs) gentle on my criticism towards animators because I can't seem to understand why (laughs) every every kid either looks significantly younger than their age or significantly older. And there's not this great like 10 to 17 age that they actually look like the kids that they are. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just that, like, 12-year-olds are super awkward looking. Yeah. And you don't really (laughs) want an anime character to look weird and awkward. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, there are, and there are some exceptions, like maybe Fooly Cooly, which Mm -hmm. has a a young kind of preteen protagonist Mm -hmm. who is kind of super awkward. Yeah. And is really struggling to figure out who he is and how to act like an adult. Right. Uh, This show doesn't do that. No, No, everybody looks like a mini adult. The dog is the only one that looks proper age scaled size. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh, As far as character designs, like this is definitely one of the most recognizable things about Jojo as a series. I love that they've decided to really lean into the original aesthetic instead of saying, hey, this isn't really the style that's going on right now. We're going to modernize it. They actually kind of took some of the original designs and leaned more into what was happening at that time than tried to make it more modern. I think the only modern part that we see is in the intro. Yeah, I mean, in general, if you see these characters, you've you've probably recognized them. Uh, no matter what season you're looking at, mm-hmm. the art style and the character designs do change up pretty drastically between them, but it is recognizably part of this property. Very angular features, very pronounced um, like parts of their face, and very deep shadows and things like that. You mentioned the muscles. Those uh, <laughs> those do kind of fade out over the the following arcs. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting to know about this author, the manga author, because he is just a huge fan of like Italian fashion mm. and 
well-known fashion designers. Mm -hmm. And so this show comes across as like, what if Arnold Schwarzenegger was like a runway model? Yeah. (laughs) And that's how every character is kind of designed. I think that's something that really works for this show is that they have these really unique kind of characteristics, but you can tell there's a lot of detail and love that goes into this. They aren't, when I say like there's this kind of 80s aesthetic is it doesn't look old. I mean, you can tell this is like up to date. Everything is really clean and crisp and they pay attention to those things like the fashion and and things like that. And you can tell that it wasn't just about how the faces were, about having unique hair. It was, you know, everything down to what they were wearing and and how that fits on them. And there is definitely an emphasis put on the style of this show. When we actually started watching the show, it was a little bit jarring to me, actually, because by the time I think I was aware of what JoJo was, they were well past this first kind of one or two seasons. Mm-hmm. And so all of the promotional art that I'm familiar with is from, like, the Stardust Crusade kind of era. Yes. Or the current era, which is, um, I think it's Golden Wind is what they're doing right now. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very familiar with seeing those characters all over the internet. (laughs) And uh, I, I just think it's interesting that I recognize this kind of character design, but really haven't seen these characters at all before. Mm hmm I had kind of talked about the intro a little bit before, but the intro to the show is really good. I'm absolutely sure that it changes from series to series, but for this series, it has this really cool effect that is really popular right now, which is interesting because the show came out almost 10 years ago, Um, and it is this highly stylized the best way you can describe it is it looks like it came out of the manga it has this sort of jump out of the pages sort of look to it that doesn't quite carry over into the show the intro is definitely more stylized than the show continues on with but if you are just watching this intro it's killer like yeah i could definitely see you show this intro to somebody and people are going to be like i want to watch the show <laughs> right um, so it's interesting to me because, you know, uh, something that's a lot of, got a lot of praise that just came out recently was the new Spider-Man movie into the Spider-Verse and that got a lot of praise for how stylized it was. And this sh- intro looks a lot like what they did in that movie. And so I think it was really cool to see something, like I said, that came out 10 years ago that has, has this look to it. Sure. And 10 years ago, like being ahead of their time is a big part of it. But it's also super impressive if you know anything about the studio that produced it. Uh, Because David Production like hadn't done anything before this. They found it a few years before JoJo. And I think they had like three shows that they had worked on, but none of them are like well-known things. Uh, in fact, the David production uh, is named that after the Bible story of David and Goliath. 
they see themselves as like, we're little, but we're really powerful in this scene. I mean. Uh, So it's a small studio. They didn't have a lot of experience before this. They had a very small budget, but they did really cool things with it. Uh, And you can see the budget seeping through sometimes. There will be like scenes that definitely there's nothing (laughs) actually moving. Yeah. But for the most part, uh, I think they did a really good job of translating the character designs into motion. And like you said, the intro is cool. And there's a lot of cool kind of stylistic aspects to the show. Mm -hmm. The look and the feel of the show definitely is unique. And it has good throwbacks to the original source material, but still being very clean and very modern. And I think it does that well in a place that we haven't seen a lot of studios be able to marry that. Yeah, and I'm glad they were successful with this because they went on to make Cells at Work. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. Well, kudos to them. That's why some of the like bacteria villains in that definitely look like big oh, JoJo characters. They do. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> now I know things. Yep. <laughs> Uh, I did want to make a brief mention about the music. Yes. Uh, I don't have much to say about the score. I didn't pay that much attention to it, honestly. I should probably go back and check that (laughs) out. Uh, But the kind of noteworthy thing for this show is that in addition to Italian fashion, Mm -hmm. the creator is very, very into Western classic rock. Yep. Hence why there's a character named Dio Mm -hmm. and a character explicitly named REO Speedwagon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they also managed to get the licensing for Roundabout, which is a song by the prog rock band Yes, mm-hmm. which just plays in the outro. <laughs> Some of these things Colin had to explain to me because while I grew up listening to a lot of this music, there was so much of it in some places. I was like, wait, what, what? Yeah. So uh, there's more fun nods to music than there are, like, really noteworthy scoring kind of stuff. Maybe that'll improve as they, you know, work out their budget kind of th- kind of issues. Mm-hmm. All right, Colin, do you want to share your general likes and dislikes about the show? Absolutely. So kind of jumping off what we just talked about with music, one of the things that I really do like about the show is the absurdity of the characters (laughs) and I think that's kind of maybe why I enjoyed the villainy of Dio a little bit more than you might have is that I can just see the the author putting as much of that on top of these characters as possible uh, down to naming a guy Robert E.O. Speedwagon (laughs) Uh, and I, I like that he goes to such absurd lengths that it has actually made Western publishers of this manga kind of squirm. <laughs> they have to go to a whole lot of trouble when it comes over to the States mm-hmm. to be able to license everything and make sure that they don't get sued for publishing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so very good. I'm glad <laughs> he's making it hard for them. Oh, my goodness. In terms of other general thoughts on the show, I don't know if you've noticed it. But would you agree that this show is kind of dripping with sexuality? Yes. 
and not like in an explicit way, but in a like every single character looks like they want to kiss every other character at all times. Yeah, they all have bedroom eyes. Uh, so I don't have anything to say about that. <laughs> just that that is the tone of this show. Yeah, it's absurdity in kind of every dimension. Yeah, I think that has to do a lot with there's this overt tension with everybody. And sometimes it is like romantic or sexually linked. And sometimes it's just this intense hatred. And I think a lot of times we kind of see media gravitate towards the higher the passion, something romantic is going to happen. And I think that's some of the tension that you're feeling. But a lot of it is in the character designs. They have those bedroom eyes, I'm telling oh, yeah. you. Well, and it melds with the whole, like, these are fashion stars, mm-hmm. basically, with superpowers. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the one downside I did want to talk about, we mentioned already, is, like, the complete and utter lack of female characters. Yes, this is this is the most heartbreaking thing for me. Because I know in later seasons there are people in the actual team that JoJo is working with who are actually part of the main story who are women. But we haven't met any here. No. And that that's probably my biggest frustration with this so far is as a female watching these first four episodes, it was just sort of like, okay, this is all about male, like, egos and them not being able to, like, communicate, and a lot of these problems would be solved if people just, like, if they just, like, said something out loud or if they weren't, like, so worried about their precious little egos. Um, And to have the one female character just be this boring and, like, she has very few lines. She barely even says anything. And yeah. that's supposed to be part of her like character is that like she's shy. But it's a super bummer to have a female on screen and not only not say or do anything like powerful, yeah. but to just kind of wilt away and not have any lines. It's a th- it's a bummer. Yeah, I thought the weirdest thing about her too was that like in the early stages, JoJo is just obsessed with her. Yes. Uh, head over heels for her. And after the time jump, JoJo ends up in the hospital and she is like at his bedside, having not seen him for eight years. And he's like, who are you again? <laughs> yeah. But she's been thinking about him the whole time. Yep. Because he's the protagonist guy. Uh-huh. <laughs> Again, super bummer. Um, you know, like Colin said, I-, I know that in different iterations, in different series, there will be solid female characters to come. Well, I don't know about solid. I've okay. just seen them. I know there's female characters <laughs> to come, and I'm going to give a benefit of the doubt that they are more solid than this ghost of a character. Um but it, yeah, it, it's just hard. It, it's hard for me to not see that kind of, re- not not feel good about the representation that was there. Kind of sucked. 
All right. So all of that said, mm-hmm. Kayla, would you watch more of this show? Okay. So you put a caveat earlier in the episode, and I'm going to kind of add one too to my answer, which is maybe. The reason why I say maybe is I don't know if I would watch more of this series. I might go watch different series. I don't really know if I'm going to keep up with the show. This might be a show that I watch some series if somebody is like, hey, this this one arc, you should watch this one arc. And I might go watch that one arc on its own. And I might enjoy it. I'm having kind of a hard time separating out a lot of the hype that I had heard from people. Anytime that I had mentioned that, you know, we do this podcast, that is one of the recommendations that somebody gives me. They're like, oh, have you seen JoJo? I'm like, no, but I'm sure I'll roll it sometime. So it's kind of hard for me to say, like, did I actually want to watch this show because of what I saw in these four episodes? Probably not. If I didn't know anything else about this show, I would probably not continue watching. But I do know that people really seem to enjoy at least certain series. Yeah. So I'm going to say I will probably watch a different series of this. Mm-hmm. Which one? I don't know. Send me send me some recommendations. Yeah. Uh, I kind of took a similar approach thinking about this question. Uh, because it is really hard to separate our true initial impression from these four episodes and what we've absorbed culturally. And generally, like, I'm the kind of person, and this is kind of the point of the show, is that if a show doesn't do a great job right up front, then it's maybe not worth pursuing. Um, In this case, however, I was entertained enough from these few episodes that even if the story and the characters weren't the best thing in the world... Uh, I think I definitely will watch something, whether that's I try to continue this series and see what happens or move on to a different arc. Uh, So I'm going to say yes for this one. All right. First show down in 2020. Much more garbage to go through. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. If you want to learn more about our show, you can visit our website at anamonday.moe. That's anamonday.moe. You can send us any questions or comments you have to podcast at anamonday.moe. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Our username is anamondaycast, and you can find links for that on our website. Thank you so much to Crunchyroll for all of the anime that you provide and for the random button, which produces these wonderful and wonderfully terrible results. If you want to follow along with us each week, we'll have a link to the current title on our website and social media so that you can watch what we're watching. Finally, thanks to C2A for providing the intro and outro music for our show, which come from the Senpai EPs available on Bandcamp and other places you might stream music. Are you ready for the first roll of this decade? I am ready. Random button in three, two, one. Okay, uh, our anime for this week, and I'm going to try my best here. (laughs) Rewrited Dorita. Derrida, who leaps through time. Uh, (laughs) Uh, And the first episode is called The Place He Awakened. Well, at least know what the episode title means. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. Rewrited. And it has a weird, like... (laughs) 
uh, yeah, there's, capitalization. There's, there's and- <laughs> clearly some attempt at wordplay in English that oh, didn't work no. out. <laughs> I hate, you know, it's such a bummer sometimes when we miss out on that. Yeah. Okay. All right, here we go. That's uh, 2020. Robots. The first thing that I see is in the year 2050. (laughs) Good. Can't imagine 30 years from now. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us back in the new year. We hope you uh, enjoy the anime to come. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you next time. Okay, bye. Bye. You gotta really emphasize. (laughs) That's the name of the character, so we better learn how to say it.